The NHL All-Star rosters have been announced for a game that probably could be canceled, but the NHL's uh, acting like it will go ahead uh, in early February. Uh, not surprisingly, there were some snubs like they were every year, so we'll break down who made it and who didn't. Uh, meantime, we have a development in the Vander Kane saga. Does he have a new team? How soon could he be going there? And could the San Jose Sharks contract termination play a factor in that? But regardless of where you're looking in the NHL for chaotic storylines, perhaps the most chaotic is the power of the Central Division. The top four teams jousting for position. The bottom four teams could go in any direction, except if you're the Arizona Coyotes and Chicago Blackhawks. So we'll talk about that in episode 303 of the Lace Em Up podcast, which starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Tuboff. And in today's uh, show, before we get to uh, the meat of it, uh, we are going to debate all-star rosters and all-star snubs. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's too much of a debate. It's just more of a reaction to it um, more than anything. Yeah. You know, it is kind of funny because I, I guess like after they get they get like they're no longer going to the olympics the nhl is no longer going to the olympics it's like oh we're well i guess we're, we're doing the all-star game which is something that they don't even need to have um so or like uh so it's like they're hosting this whole event and um it's going to be in vegas on february 4th so i guess there's that but it's just I, I guess it really just comes down to money because the all like the NHL can make a lot of money out of this uh, versus if it's um, versus in the Olympics where they can't. So so maybe that's that's part of it. But um, but yeah, it's just uh, uh, it's just a weird, interesting thing for from that point of view for sure. Um, so. Uh, so yeah, we'll we'll get into snubs in a second, but I guess I'll read out the rosters for uh, f- the four teams, and then we can get into snubs afterwards. Um, so for the Atlantic Division, we have Bergeron, Darlene, Larkin, Huberdeau, Suzuki, Batherson, Vasilevsky, Hedman, Matthews, and Campbell. Um, and then for the Metro Division, I'm just going by last names, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Freddie Anderson, Aho, Wierenski, Hughes, Jack Hughes, um, Pellick, uh, Fox, Kreider, Giroux, uh, Jari, and Ovechkin. Then in the Central Division, we have Keller, Debrincat, McKinnon, Makar, Pavelski, Kaprizov, Talbot, and UC Saros, um, Kairou, and Kyle Connor. And then for the Pacific Division... We have uh, John Gibson, uh, Goudreau, McDavid, Dreisaitl, Kempe, Meyer, Eberle, Demko, uh, Petrangelo, and Stone. Um, so, the um, in case you did not realize this, uh, yes, uh, Brad Marchand's not in the All-Star game. 
Brady Kachuk's not in the All-Star game. Uh, the biggest one, uh, and this is no bias from us, uh, Roman Yossi is not in the All-Star game, which is absurd to me. I feel like that's even a bigger travesty that uh, than, like, that's the biggest travesty of them all. Uh, to be fair to Yossi, though, is he is, uh, he could still be in with the last men in, but, like, Roman Yossi, I think he's second in defensive defenseman points right now. Um, he is, and uh, just one yeah. behind Victor Hedman for the lead, so it's yeah. not like it's that big for a gap. And I also believe he's first in shots on goal with, uh, yeah, he is first on shots on goal by defenseman with 140. Yep. The next closest is Aaron Ekblad with 114, and he's yeah. logged roughly 25 minutes per game. So workhorse yeah. as usual, and having a a career year it seems once again yeah yeah i mean like i mean i i could go on about how like brad marchand's in the top 10 in points right now um but like it's hard to argue with uh, patrice bergeron and i'm glad he's getting in there but it should be brad marchand he's been our best if you've watched any of the bruins games and i've watched all of them it's uh it's pretty clear that brad marchand is the best player so that that uh, was a snub as well, but Roman Yossi, just even given the fact that it's like um, the the guy who's, I mean, we're going to talk about Nashville uh, <laughs> later on, but I, I mean, I guess UC Saros does deserve to be the Predators representative, so I'll take that back, but it's, um, I don't know, it just seems kind of, uh, I, I was just looking forward to having Makar and Yossi playing at the same time maybe or like even like Yossi playing with McKinnon and Kaprizov uh that would just been really fun to see and I feel like we've just been robbed of seeing all those things um you could make a case though it's like does every team need to have a player um or team need to be representative like yeah Clayton Keller's having an okay season but it's like he's only there because he's like they have to have an Arizona Coyote on there. Uh, Nazem Kadri is another one who's um, who really started to pick it up once uh, McDavid, um, sorry McKinnon started to uh, falter, and he's like fifth in points. So Kadri mm-hmm. should be in as well because uh, he's he has forty nine points in thirty two games. I think that's pretty good. Uh, so so like. Kadri's another one it's just it's just insane to me that like I don't know something needs to be done because I I feel like Yossi Marchand and Kadri should be in this game somehow and they're not and I I really don't understand it another guy who snubbed Quinn Hughes Quinn Hughes is another one yeah although I'm not gonna make too big of a deal on Quinn Hughes just because it's um it's like the Canucks (laughs) didn't really have like a great uh haven't had a great first half before Bruce Boudreaux so so maybe that like defeats that whole purpose but yeah you know Quinn Hughes is another one I would have wanted to see Troy Terry maybe in there and although John Gibson's in and he's having a good season so I don't know but um yeah it's it's I don't know it's what what are your thoughts on all this I mean, you're always going to have snubs every single yep. year. We've we've uh, said it a couple of times whenever we've broken down uh, the respectable All-Star Game rosters over the past few years. It's a case of, you know, I really like this guy's numbers. He should really be in the All-Star Game, but we need at least one representative per team. 
and then it's a case of, well, you look at the case of New York Islanders where, like, you know, Adam, Pe- Adam Pelica might be having a good season, but uh, it looked at times that Ilya Sorokin was the best New York Islanders player. Yeah. So why don't we put Sorokin in there? Well, you already got Tristan Jerry in there, and, you know, the Atlantic Division or uh, the Metro Division is uh, filled with, uh, with goaltenders, so we really don't have enough room for Sorokin there. So they're always going to be those, you know, position decisions where a player rightfully or wrongly get um, gets screwed, mostly wrongly. I don't think there's a situation where they rightly get screwed. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 I get the NHL wants to be inclusive, and it, it's the case of, like, it, it, it's happened several times for the Ottawa Senators when they – have a live game on Saturday nights. Um, and I won't mention the TV station in particular, but they always get stashed on the satellite channel that if you have basic cable, you cannot get. So you're basically not able to watch the Sens game. Meantime, the Leafs are on two separate channels at the same time. So right. you want equal representation. All we ask as fans is fair representation for all the teams. So the NHL wants to make sure no teams are left hanging. And it's just like, at minimum, you are going to have one representative from your team in the All-Star game. And I totally, totally get that. But then you get those situations like uh, Clayton Keller in Arizona, uh, Drake Batherson, who has had a good season uh, with the Sens, don't get yeah. me wrong, but I'm sure there are a lot of guys in the Atlantic Division where – you go i'd rather this guy over drake batherson right now this this guy's playing pretty awesome hockey uh you look at uh even some of the guys uh, in the central division which is already loaded with talent jordan kairu's the representative for uh, the st louis blues and i'm sure a lot of people are going man tarasenko in his bounce back season would have been nice to have in there but um apparently uh it looks like he's not in the game there um and, and the list goes on. You're always going to have snubs there. But uh, the, to me, the biggest snub is Kadri. Like, the yeah. fact that you're fifth in points, you're having a career year, um, even if it's on a heavily stacked Colorado team where you're filled to the brim with offensive depth, this is a career year for him, and he's not getting rewarded for it. It's It sucks. Obviously, you know, there's – the track record that uh, hangs over his head, but I, you you like to see talent re- get recognized yeah. appropriately for their accolades. And um, I think out of all the players that got stiffed arm, Kadri's the biggest one. Yeah, Kadri's pretty bad. And as much as I don't like him as a player for what he, uh, like all the dirty moves he, he pulled on the Bruins, um, when he was on the Leafs, it, he is, he has picked it up. And, um, I mean, I, I, I think like maybe there is some, like the reason why I, I feel like it's like, uh, I think Yossi is probably a bigger snub is the fact that like, cause I, I know that Kat, like if, if McKinnon was fully healthy, Kadri wouldn't be going on this insane pace. Um, so, so it's, it's mm-hmm. like, it takes it away from that. And then it's like you also have McKinnon, McCarr are in there too. So, so like I get that you can't really have like three Colorado people on the on the team, but like it's hard to take McKinnon off of that. And it's like especially since he's the captain, 
And then like Makar, yeah, he deserves to be in, and I'm about to talk about him too. He's on, he's going crazy too. So it's um, so yeah, I I I'm less like concerned about Kadri because I at least understand it. Um, but yeah, I think Roman Yossi is probably the biggest one that it's like, what, what, what are we doing here really? And yeah, you have a point that like, yeah, there's snubs every year. Um, but I think like particularly just with this format of like three on three and there's just less players involved cause there's four teams and all that stuff. So it just brings about like, you're just going to have players that, um, that like just because every team has to be represented in, um, versus just like I guess eventually like the central would just be like the Colorado Avalanche and 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 some and Kaprizov basically and Saros so so I I, I think um so I I get why they do it that way but maybe they should just go back to having like a western conference and eastern conference game um instead because I feel like then you have more variety and more possibility to have more players like that. But, um, but yeah, it's just, it's, yeah. And the, the Clayton Keller one, uh, no, no disrespect to oh, Clayton yeah, yeah. Keller, given the situation that he's in Arizona, 27 points in 36 games. It's yep. pretty freaking impressive. Yep. Kadri's got 35 assists in 32 games. Yeah, yeah. So he has a better assist per game than Keller has points per game. And Keller's going to the all-star game and he's not. Right, right, right. Um, I do want to shout out that like someone like Chris Kreider uh, gets to go, um, yeah. which is which is pretty cool. Because um, like he's having, I mean, he deserves it. It's not like a Clayton Keller situation because uh, he has he has uh, I think he has like twenty five goals now or something like that, uh, something crazy. But uh, yeah, so so he deserves to go. But like this might be his only All Star game that he's going to get to. So I do want to shout him out. Um, and so I'm happy for him and, um, and yeah, like Batherson, um, I, 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 I would rather have Brady Kachuk in instead, but I'm glad that Batherson at least gets a shot. And so people can see how good he is. Um, Kempe is another one where I'm like, Oh, that's cool. Or even like someone like Joe Pavelski, although I would have rather had uh, Jason Robertson out of Dallas. If you're going to take, if you're going to do a team representative i would probably rather have jason robertson but uh but it is kind of cool that joe pavelski is getting his shot um and also i mean i'm eventually i guess the more i talk about the central division i'm like i'm gonna probably talk about this guy pretty soon anyways but jordan cairo uh good good for him to be there as well and getting um his recognition as well so so yeah it's definitely like there are some good stories, but then at the same time, you're just like, what? It comes to a point of like, if what's the point of having an all star game when we don't even have this? Like probably like Roman Yossi might win, end up winning the Norris Trophy this year. He's been that good, mm-hmm. so it's like, what are we doing here? If like Roman Yossi's not making the all star game when he's like he's like either he's a front runner or he's in second place. Um, so, or he's going to be nominated. So it, it that that part just uh, doesn't make sense to me. Um, to quote uh, Nathan McKinnon, it's uh, all star game, not a participation game, and he's one hundred percent right on that. Yeah, you yeah. want the best of the best that's there. Uh, Drake Batherson, by the way, thirty points in twenty six games, low key very good for the yep. Sens. The other guy that I'm really intrigued to see, Jack Hughes. Yep. Um, I know that the numbers uh, obviously 
don't back it up because he's only played 20 games, but he has 20 points. Yep. And just the creative skill that this guy possesses, he has two game winners on the year, and both of them have come in overtime. You just know that he's going to do something special in this game, and that's what you want to see, the young guys being creative. Yeah. And I think that's really going to help grow the festivities here. Yeah, it's cool because, like, I, I think for, like, although uh, Jack Hughes, like, missed a ton of time, at the beginning, and like the Devils are struggling now, um, probably because Dougie Hamilton is injured and out long term. But, um, but yeah, it is kind of cool to see like, oh, Jack Hughes, he's doing pretty well. Um, so it's it's nice to see at least an American uh, doing well out yeah, here. Yeah, I, I would love to see next year's game uh, if we can make it happen. Hockey gods, Trevor Zegris. Oh, yeah. And uh, Jack Hughes going against each other in a three-on-three. That would be epic. That would be fun, yeah. Um, yeah, Trevor Zegers is another one, but I think for him he had a pretty slow start. So um, yeah. So I, I think that's probably why he, he didn't uh, make it. But yeah, yeah he, he's... he's consistently hot out of the gate yeah. um, next year. I don't see any problems making yeah, it. Yeah. He has 29 points in 35 games, which is – Second on the team in scoring and uh, a little bit behind Troy Terry in that department who also didn't make it. So yep. the, the young guys on the Ducks have some sneaky good talent. Milano's looking good too. So Yeah, yeah. Although they're struggling lately, but yes. Um, yep. All right. Uh, the other topic that we wanted to talk about is we, we did mention this last week, but there's been more uh, stuff that's come out out of the Evander Kane stuff. Um, so basically what happened was San Jose put Evander Kane on waivers for contract termination. Um, and the, uh, the reason why they wanted to terminate his contract was because he tested positive for COVID um, in the AHL when he was in uh, this Barracuda. And, um, and then he decided to travel to, I guess, his uh, home country, his home to Canada instead of quarantining. Um, and the Sharks found that reason to terminate his contract because that's like a breach of stuff. Um, but then his um, his agent just recently mentioned like, hey, we're going to sue if, um, if they actually do terminate this contract. And the NHLPA has also appealed as well. So it looks like it's going to be a little bit more complicated uh, than just, oh, right, his uh, Vander Kane, is, his contract is terminated. So, um, so yeah, I, I, there was some, like, rumors that um, that he was probably going to go to the Edmonton Oilers because um, both McDavid and, uh, uh, what's his face, uh, Talon, no, not Talon. Um, why am I blinking? Who's the Edmonton's GM again? Um, oh, Ken Holland. Ken Holland, yeah. I almost said Talon. Um, Ken Holland, yeah, he, uh, they, they both have said, like, yeah, I think uh, they would like uh, Evander Kane on the team uh, just because of, like, depth reasons. And uh, as we talked about last week of, like, yeah, they need forward depth, but I don't think it's going to fix their defense if Edmonton ends up getting him. But it looks like either way it's going to be a while before we, we see Evander Kane in the NHL, because uh, now there's this whole other thing uh, going on. Like, can you actually terminate this contract? Which, um, you know, I, I think that makes sense. Because it's, uh, like, if if the Sharks are able to do this, then it's like, 
why why does this mean that like any team can really like do something like this and just take out all their bad contracts that they have um so so i understand why the nhlpa is doing it it doesn't even matter if uh like if there's like a sexual assault like all the sexual assault stuff and if you throw that out and you just take it as like okay he had covid and he he went to another place is that really cause to terminate a contract um I would say probably yes, but I, I haven't read his contract, so I don't know legally if you can actually do that. But I, I guess either way, I guess the Sharks could buy uh, Evander Kane out. Um, so it, it looks like the sh either the, the Sharks, I, I don't think Evander Kane's going to see being a San Jose uniform. It's just a matter of if the Sharks will buy him out or terminate his contract. Well, yeah, and, and they're, the, the reason they're going down this route is because it's going to cost them money yep. over an extended period of time if they choose to buy him out, and there's still right. a fair bit of term on that. So we're talking, you know, like five, six, seven, eight years of buyout money that they have to pay Evander Kane if they just right. straight up buy him out. But I think it's going to get to the point where if this doesn't work out and he's still on their books, it's just like, yeah, we're sick and tired of this guy. We're getting rid of him. We're buying him out. Right, uh, and we're we're just gonna do what whatever it takes. We're we're gonna cut our ties and we're gonna move on. Um, so that could be an off season thing uh, if this drags on further. What again? I, I mentioned it last week. Why is any team giving Evander Kane a contract right now? It's beyond me. Uh, what he's done in San Jose, Connor McDavid has no control over. What he does in Edmonton, however, as team captain, it's up to McDavid. Um, to, to keep the camaraderie in the dressing room uh, alive and well and to make sure everything is going smooth sailing with Evander Kane because we saw how quickly uh, things soured uh, in San Jose. And the Oilers can't have that happen to their locker room. So Connor McDavid as captain, there are certain responsibilities that the captain holds that most players on the team do not hold. And in certain situations like these – the team captain has to step up. So when I hear Connor McDavid saying whatever people think of the Evander Kane situation, it is what it is, then I fully expect Connor McDavid to take the lead on this and be the best leader they can be and keep that locker room in check and um, do whatever he can to make sure that this relationship works. Uh, the last thing Edmonton needs is to have this blow in their face. And it, and it easily could if Evander Kane... Uh, doesn't learn his lesson because to me there have been several chances for him to show that he's a changed man and for whatever re reasons whether whether it's inner demons or or something different um it, it it hasn't worked out for Evander Kane in a lot of different markets and that that needs to change in order for him to continue to play hockey or else no one's going to take a chance on him this is and, and all in all intents and purposes, this is his last chance uh, if he gets it with the Edmonton Oilers um, or if uh, that doesn't work out and he it gets another gig, then that's his last chance there too. Um, so obviously not official yet. Can't really say he's an Edmonton Oiler because there are still some things in the way yep. of that. Um, but if he does become an Edmonton Oiler, um, 
what happens next is up to the leadership group of the Edmonton Oilers in terms of making this operation work. And it starts with the captain. Yeah, the thing is, is that I, I think, like, we talked about this last week, so I don't want to, like, <laughs> say it all again and have this discussion again. Right. But, um, yeah, I think it's, if he does go to Edmonton, like, we, we talked about this last week about how Edmonton has these depth issues and scoring depth issues. So it does make sense to have someone, like, as talented as Evander Kane um, on there. So... Um, yeah, it is disappointing that McDavid said that, but I and like you would think that with like the Kyle Beach stuff going on, and I think there's even like another sexual assault case that just came up this week um, that was similar to a Kyle Beach situation for hockey as well. It's like you would think that like we would have learned our lesson from that of like like you know some things are just more important than winning. And, and all that stuff. But at the same time, like, we have this podcast where we talk about, like, the Edmonton Oilers aren't even close to being a Stanley Cup contender. And that's because they only have McDavid and Dreisaitl. And they need a defense. They need a goalie. They need depth. You know, so so I think there there is a line between, like, winning versus just having a moral support. And I'd like to think that, you know, that you can win with being moral and stuff but i can also understand just being that competitive person where you don't necessarily care what this person does on the off like offhand if it gives you a better chance at winning the cup but yeah it's like as a lot if vander king can play goalie or defense then um then yeah i can see it but um but and and they do need depth help but i i just don't think it's worth the trouble um, maybe I could see it. I, I know that there's rumors swinging around that like maybe if if there's like a locker room that's like very tight knit and stuff, like I, I would hate them on the, my team, but like the Bruins do have like the best leadership. Um, like, you know, maybe Vander King could go to the Bruins and I feel like with guys like Bergeron, Marchand and, and all those guys, it could work out. Same with uh, Washington as well. Um, cause they have a lot of leaders on that team, but, um, but at the same time, I, I agree with you that I think we should wait a little bit longer before Vander Kane joins the team. And it seems like there's this legal thing that, uh, so it, it might not, <laughs> he, he might not even be able to play this year anyway. So, so yeah, I, I, I would at least wait till next season until we can, uh, get him back in the NHL. Yeah, and the and the other thing with the with the Oilers and uh, what Connor McDavid said, I mean he's being put into a pretty tough position. It's just like, well, Evander Kane's coming to our team. I guess I have to defend this, yeah. regardless of what my thoughts are on the situation. So, like, what do you expect him to do? Right. Um, say I don't want him on my team right. on the team. Like, yeah, it's a tough mess position. Up our locker room. Like, right. That's just going to create more division. Yeah. Uh, so. But, but still, um, I, I feel like um, his comments left me wanting more. I, yeah. I was, uh, d- d- deep inside me, I'm just thinking that that's, that's, that's your comment. That's all you have. Yeah. But, again, I also realized that Connor McDavid is back to, into a corner, and, and he can only say so much. So he's going to make the most of an interesting situation, as I'm sure uh, the rest of the team will try to do, assuming this goes ahead. Um, also, the thought of Evander Kane and Tom Wilson on the same team makes me want to vomit. 
yep. because that would be a nightmare to play against. You got Tom Wilson just bruising bodies, uh, a Vander Kane being a pain in the butt, also scoring goals. Yeah. Like that that would that would be a two headed monster for the Caps right there. Yeah, I, I like I think uh the Capitals were the like I was just thinking of teams that have like a lot of leaders. So I was thinking of like Ovechkin, uh Carlson, a Backstrom. And yeah, I guess Tom Wilson he's been in the league uh, a while, so that could work. But the Bruins I don't think really makes a ton of sense just because uh Taylor Hall and Brad Marchand are left wingers as well, so I don't necessarily yeah. think it would be a good fit. But um, even on like a hockey level, I mean, I know that Jake DeBrusque wants to leave, but if we're gonna trade Jake DeBrusque, I think I would rather have a center or uh, a defenseman um, instead. So um, or a right winger. But um, but yeah, so so that that part is like, well, why are we getting a left winger then? <laughs> we have so but like you know similarly to the capitals i think the bruins do have a lot of leadership in their uh in their on their team that could like you know could help evander kane out um and i had someone who like uh or i was listening to the hockey news and they made this good point that like when evander kane first went into san jose they had joe thornton they had joe pavelski they had um, a bunch of other sharp, like older veteran guys in the locker room. And, and then once those guys left, then that's when everyone started to hate Evander Kane. And yeah, they have Couture, they have Hurdle, who's been in the league for a while. Brent Burns is the same way and Eric Carlson, but it's not, it's not the same when you have like someone who is a leader, like Joe Thornton or a leader, like, um, uh, Pavelski in the locker room that are just just bring that that strong presence in the locker room. So, so yeah, I could also understand like maybe that was really what what did it in is that like people just got sick of Evander Kane because and they didn't have the leaders to support it. So that that's definitely a possibility. And to counter your point about Evander Kane going to Boston, Bergeron and Felino are nearing the end of their careers. So what happens yep. if they leave? No, yeah, you're gonna yeah. you're gonna have a similar circumstance there. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I well, for for the record, I want this on tape, and I guess it is on tape. Don't Bruins, Don Sweeney, if you're listening, don't do it. Just just don't even think about it. <laughs> um, albeit the only way I could see it happening is if, uh, if it's the only way that we can get Thomas Hurdle on the Bruins. Um, if it's like okay, we'll take we'll take Hurdle. And a Vander Kane because of all that stuff, but like that's that's the only reason. Um, yeah, but... I can't I can't wait for the trade deadline episode in a couple of weeks because Thomas Hurdle will be talked about at length, and yep. some of uh, the the other guys uh, that uh, we could mention on this uh, edition of the podcast uh, will also be mentioned in detail later. But yeah, uh, yeah. So we're we're getting we're getting to that point where a lot's going to happen. Yep. Uh, so 30 minutes in and we haven't even reached the main topic. So I think we should get going. Um, so the central division. Yeah, now we are. Yeah. Now we are officially in the main topic. Uh, the central division has been really, really good. And I wanted to like, I think we, we talk about Colorado a lot, but we don't really talk about Nashville, St. Louis and Minnesota. Um, and I was kind of, when I was looking at the standings and in kind of possible episodes that we could, we could talk about, um, 
yeah, it just struck me as interesting that like, oh, right, we don't really, like Nashville at the time they were leading the, they were the in the division lead. Um, and now it seems like it's tied with Colorado and Nashville. Uh, they both have 51 points. However, Colorado has 35 games um, and uh, Nashville has 39 games. But um, St. Louis is pretty close with 49 points. Um, and then Minnesota has uh, 46 points, but 34 games, which is, uh, I guess, is the um, least amount of games in the division. Although I guess uh, Winnipeg also has 34 games. Um, we'll, we'll talk about the other four um, in, a, in a few, probably an hour, but <laughs> an hour from now. But I thought we would talk about the top half of the Central Division. Um in particular, and what has stood out to each of us about those four teams. Uh, we're going to start off with Colorado because they are in the lead right now. Um, so I guess I'll go first. Um, I think what, like, yeah, we, we talk about Mc, McKinnon and Rantanen. Uh, Landeskog is now injured as well. but um, So it is impressive, and we talked about this when we were talking about the All-Star snubs, but, like, Kadri has taken over uh, for McKinnon when he was when he was injured. And now that Landeskog is out, it seems like I, I noticed that Burakovsky has uh, scored a lot more. Uh, Nicholas Abe-Kubel, who they picked up in waivers, has been interesting. But I did want to talk about, in particular, Kale McCarr. Um, this was on January 12th, um, so last Wednesday. Um, so I don't know how much has changed, but... Uh, in when you count, like the, I'm talking about all time, there are only three defensemen who have a better career points per game than Cam Lacar. Um, and I don't know if uh, if you like you've heard of these guys, but Bobby Orr, uh, Paul Coffey, and Dennis Potvin are the three that are ahead of him. That's pretty good, I think. Um, and then uh, below Cam Lacar. Um, on this list is Raymond Bork, Al McKinnis, Paul Reinhardt, Brian Leach. I actually never have heard of Paul Reinhardt. Uh, Brian Leach, Phil Housley, and Doug Wilson. So he's in pretty good company, and he's fourth among those uh, 10 people that I just mentioned. Um, and, like, the thing is, is he's only played 130 games. So, um or just as of last Wednesday, even though he's played a couple more games. So I don't know how much has changed since then, but like, that's just incredible. Um, uh, just from like a legacy standpoint, uh, right now he has 36 points in 31 games. Um, I think we're, we're just looking at, and like, yeah, there's Victor Hedman, Roman Yossi and Adam Fox who have more points than him right now. It's still like, it's insane to me that Kale McCarr is like, um, is this good at age 23. Um, and like, yeah, he benefits from the fact that his team is very, very good too. But um, I, I, I just, I feel like we should prop Kale McCarr up some more that, um, yeah, he's, he's just amazing. I think what's also crazy too is that he has 16 goals, um, which is the most out of defensemen. Um, right now, so so yeah, it's just um, that's the other thing that that makes him that makes him different than defensemen because usually defensemen don't score a lot of goals, 
um, and Kemlikar does. Um, so I, I think he's been very, very good. Um, yeah, what what stood out from you for uh, Colorado? So to add to the Kale McCarr point, by the way, if you look at his goal totals, I think there was a stat that I saw where I think if you look at the goal scores for like a third of the teams or half of the teams, McCarr is ahead of them. Jeez, yeah. And this, and this is regardless of the position. Kale McCarr would lead like half of the league's teams in goal scoring or something ridiculous like that. It's nuts. Uh, career year for him and not even play game two. 200 in the NHL, not bad. Uh, what actually grabbed my attention about Colorado is not necessarily just Kale McCarr, but the defenseman not named Kale McCarr as well. Uh, Devin Taves, low-key, 26 points in just 24 games played, averaging 25 minutes of ice time. Absolute workhorse. And um, he has even chalked up six power play points too. Plus 29 on the year, and he's second in team scoring uh, by defenseman, and the guy ahead of him is Kale McCarr. A lot of people are looking at Sam Girard as that best defenseman not named Kale McCarr on the Avs, and it appears that uh, Devin Taves has taken that mantle for the time being. If it's a back and forth between Devin Taves and Sam Girard for that title over the next couple of years, who really cares who it is as long as they're putting up the numbers? Uh, Sam Gerrard, meantime, has 19 points in 33 games. That's still pretty good, and he's averaged 22 minutes and 6 seconds of ice time per game. Um, so you like that for the ass. He's third in defensive scoring. Eric Johnson, 15 points in 35 games. He's a plus 20, and he's only averaged 18 minutes per game. So that's pretty decent production when you consider the amount of ice time that he's averaged. Um there's uh, Bowen Byron, who has only played 18 games, but he has 11 points, and he's averaged 19.34 of ice time per game. Uh, so not bad numbers for the rookie there. And uh, Jack Johnson, he's only averaged not even a full 16 minutes per game. Close enough, though, 15.58 per game. But uh, seven points in 31 games, I think, when you consider where his career is at, if you can get that level of production, any level of production from Jack Johnson – um, I think that's still pretty good. Um, Ryan Murray isn't known for, for putting up points, but he has four in 21 games, four assists, that is. And he's averaged not even 15 minutes of ice time per game. And throughout the majority of his career, he's also uh, been injury prone. Um, so four points in 21 games, I would also consider that pretty decent uh, for his standards. And you also have um, deaf guys that have uh, chipped in. Curtis McDermott's played in 23 games. He has two assists. Uh, Jacob McDonald has put up solid numbers in the AHL. He's played in seven games. Hasn't registered any points. But again, I think that's largely because Colorado's defense is so darn good that you're not really going to get the opportunities to excel in that department. He's also only averaged 843 per game in the seven games that he's played. So there's that. Uh, and uh, then you also have Jordan Gross and Justin Baring playing in three games combined there. So the vast uh, amount of defensive depth, not just for depth, um, and we've talked about this before um, with the Colorado Avalanche, that's been a huge part of their success. But I would argue it's even more so a part of success this year than it was last year. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, they're they're definitely still a scary team. And what's crazy is is that like Landeskog just got injured, um, and it looks like Bo Byram is out again. It looks like he has some concussion in- issues. But like even without like they, it seems like they always have injuries. But like even still, like yeah. I like I don't think like they're they're still probably gonna win the division. Which and we're about to talk about how like dangerous. And, and they this also division. started off average. People yeah. forget they had a very tough start to the schedule for the yeah. first like five to ten games, and everyone's like, well, "What's wrong with Colorado?" No one's asking that question anymore. Right, right, and it's it's just like they didn't have McKinnon for a while. It's like okay, no problem. We have like our secret X factor of Nazem Kadri here, and it's just like. Yeah. Or like their Darcy Kemper's having kind of a um, a disappointing season, but he's still like okay. Um, so it's just like um, I, I guess that would be the only concern is is their goaltending um, could be yeah. an issue in the long run. But that's their Achilles heel, a thousand percent. Uh, but there's no doubt that they are um, the best. Like offensive team or at least they have the best skaters um i don't even think it's pretty much close um even like i guess you could say like edmonton considering they have the, like the two best players in the league but uh their depth um is not good so whereas colorado's depth is much better um and i also wanted to shout out nicholas abe kubel um who was who went from being like a fourth liner on philadelphia to um, let me pull this up here. Um, he now has 12 points in 23 games uh, for Colorado um, with 11 minutes of ice time on average, which uh, which which is better than the one point in seven games that he had in Philadelphia, where he was averaging nine minutes of ice time. So <laughs> he's he's kind of picked it up, even though I guess he's he's now on the. Um, uh, he's not on the left wing, but like it's um, it's interesting that he's kind of replaced Landeskog in a way. Um, but yeah, I, I do want to shout him out for for being a good depth player uh, for them. Um, okay, then we. Uh, so, what do you have for what caught your attention for Nashville? Their power play isn't terrible. <laughs> I feel like we've been talking for the past couple of years. Man, Nashville's power play is near the bottom of the league. When you look at their players, you look at their stats, uh, their power play should be a lot better, and their offense uh, should be much better when you consider they have Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne and even Mikhail Granlund from like three or four years ago was killing it with the Minnesota Wild. And then the offense just seemed to evaporate the second he uh, moved – to uh, the country city of Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, And for whatever reason, Nashville's power play percentage is 26.5%. Remember that Colorado team we just talked about that they're tied with for first in the division? Yep. Colorado is three full percentage points back of them in terms of power play success. Nashville's at 26.5%. They weren't even at, I think, 20% for what seems to be at least a couple of years. Colorado right now is 23.5%. So that's very, very promising uh, if you're the Nashville Predators. And I think part of the reason why they are as good as they are, if you uh, think of the Nashville Predators, you look at how many times UC Saros bailed them out 
of sure failure, uh, especially in that Carolina series, the first four games, he was spectacular. And he was definitely um, having a Vezina caliber season with them. And uh, you can make the case that he's going to be in the running for the Vezina again this year. But the offense uh, has definitely showed up. Uh, you also look at uh, the power play opportunities. Nashville has 117 of those. That's seventh most in the NHL. Uh, power play goals four. They have 31, which is, don't look now, but in third, the two teams ahead of them have 32 goals scored. Uh, one of them is Colorado, which we just talked about. And the other is St. Louis, which we'll also talk about uh, later on. And um, uh, it should also be noted that in terms of shorthanded goals surrendered, uh, the Preds have given up fewer than uh, St. Louis and Colorado. Mm -hmm. St. Louis and Colorado have three shorthanded goals against Preds have two, which again epitomizes how good Nashville Nashville's uh, goaltending uh, has been. When you take a look at uh, Nashville as a team, just taking a look at uh, the power play goal department, uh, especially um, Matt Duchesne. We talked about the big season that he had. He leaves the team with eight power play goals. He has 17 goals, 34 points and 35 games on the year. Roman Yossi, a defenseman, cannot emphasize that enough. A defenseman has seven power play goals. He has 13 goals, 39 points and 37 games on the year. Johansson has four power play goals he has 10 goals 30 points this year in just 36 games uh forsberg in a contract year only has three power play goals but he has 18 goals in 26 games so uh back to his streaky goal scoring ways there nick cousins has two power play goals so does a young rookie by the name of philip tomasino both of those guys have five goals and 12 yeah. points in 33 games uh mikhail granland was uh been an assist machine bill 28 assists 33 points only a single power play goal but he has 12 power play points and then you also uh among the other guys with one power play goal you have colton sissons thomas novak another young player uh ely tolvanen who has 13 points in 39 games a bit of a setback for him but you know who hasn't taken a step back and actually taken a step forward is tanner Janot. i didn't realize this but Tanner Janot's numbers, 12 goals, 23 points yep. in 39 games. And he only has two power play points. So the depth of their offense is led by their power play, something that we haven't seen from Nashville in past years. And it's definitely the reason why they are as good as they are right now. Well, that and uh, UC Saros is really good too. Um, <laughs> that yeah. and UC Saros is a god. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I think it, it's interesting because uh, I think at the beginning of the year, I thought like, okay, the, Nashville, they traded Victor Arvidsson. Um, I think they made another trade that kind of indicated that they were probably going to rebuild. And I was just thinking like, okay. Oh, Ryan Ellis to Philly, yeah. Ryan Ellis to Philly. So I was just thinking like, okay, I don't, I don't expect much out of Nashville because of those two moves. And uh, I couldn't have been dead wrong. Not to mention, like, Matt Duchesne, Michael Granlin, Ryan Johansson. They all had terrible seasons last year. And I was just thinking, like, okay. And I knew that UC Saros uh, is pretty good. And uh, Roman Yossi, of course, is pretty good. Although he had a down year last year as well. And I was just thinking, like, okay, this team's not going to be that exciting. They're, they're just going to be flailing. Uh, Philip Forsberg even, like, had a Instagram that he like he put a thumbs down in his Instagram stories after 
Victor Arvidsson got traded, and I was just thinking like, okay, this yep. this team might be a mess. Um, and <laughs> I couldn't be proven more wrong. Uh, Roman Yossi is on a career year we've just talked about. But I, I do want to emphasize that he has 39 points in 37 games um, as a defenseman. So that's insane. Um, and like I just talked about Kel McCarr, who has uh, 16 goals. The next on that list in terms of defensemen is uh, Roman Yossi, who has 13 goals. Um, I know you've already mentioned all the stats, but I'll say them again because it's worth repeating. Um, and then, like, I thought Matt Duchesne was just going to be bad again, but no, he's he has 34 points in 35 games. Michael Granlund, I thought he was going to be bad a- again. Um, 33 points in 37 games. Ryan Johansson has picked it up 30 points in 36 games. Um, I, I kind of... Philip Forsberg has been pretty good, and he's always pretty good, but... Uh, like 29 points in 26 games for him. So, so yeah, it's like, wow, that that's like pretty cool. And then, of course, like I expected Saros to be uh, good, but yeah, he's been amazing. 927 save percentage. Um, so that's, that's a very impressive. Um, I think what also was impressive, and I always hate whenever I mention the Bruins, but this time it, it matters because I, um, that, that, that was the team that the uh, the Bruins last played here. Jeez, okay, there's an ad here. Um, but when I looked at their, uh, when I was watching the game, like I thought, like oh, the Bruins came out to an early lead, um, and uh, Craig Smith and Mike Riley, um, and I was just thinking, like oh wow, this is impressive that like um, for the Bruins because I knew Saros was really good, so I was like, we, we better keep that lead and all that stuff. And luckily the Bruins ended up winning that game. But then all of a sudden, like Colton Sissons um, scores. I'm like, wait, who's Colton Sissons? And then the next period, it's like Luke Cunning um, scores. And then it's a tie game. And then all of a sudden, then Brad Marchand scores in the third period. Um, and it was just like, phew, we're done. Like, Olmark has this down lock. And then, of course, Roman Yossi scores. Uh, to tie the game and then eventually Taylor Hall scores so just to help out but like the fact that like I was looking here like the the, the Predators were like like outplay the Bruins um that whole game pretty much um instead of like maybe the first period but it was just just crazy that like you know I I had expected the Predators to not be that good um, and yeah, they, they really impressed me. I know it's just one game and all that stuff and it was a game they ended up losing, but, um, but still, it's just like, it just shows how like they never give up and, um, and they, they're a very tough team to beat. And, um, yeah, I was just very impressed by them. And, um, so I mentioned Colton Sissons, he's, he's doing pretty well. Like even someone like, uh, Dante Fabro, who I thought, wasn't going to like he he's good defensively but I never thought he was going to make it offensively or like his offensive numbers haven't really shown up in the pros he was good in college but uh but yeah even for him he has like 11 points in 35 games and like five points in his last five games or something like that so um so yeah he's he's kind of picked it up too so it's um it's kind of just, yeah, they're a good team. Like, even their depth players are uh, impressive to me as well. 
the 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 other thing is that I wanted to mention as uh, an antidote uh, to national success is I wonder how much of it is actually fueled by UC Saros and his strong play. Uh, when and and I know I'm getting off tangent when I mention the Toronto Maple Leafs here, but in the early 2000s, and I speak from the experience because I watched them beat the Sens relentlessly in the playoffs. Curtis Joseph was the backbone on a lot of those Leafs teams, and by just playing his game and playing lights out goaltending, it just allowed the least key superstars to just do whatever they wanted because if they messed up, they knew Cujo was going to bail them out. And I think it's similar with the UC Saros effect. The only goalie with a thousand shots faced at the moment of this recording is UC Saros. He's faced a thousand and one. He has a 926 save percentage, two shutouts, uh, 20, 10 and two record. So, Oh, in terms of shots faced per game, 31.2 yep. over the course of uh, 32 games played, all of them starts. So the question is, if UC Saros' play falls off, does that impact the power play? Does that impact the goal scoring on the Predators? Uh, or is this a legit team that is going to be a legit threat for the next couple of years at least? I'm hesitant to say that because... I also kind of get the 17-18 Kings vibes with this team where it looks like the numbers are there. And then they get to the playoffs and get swept by Vegas, an expansion team. So I'm not really sure what to believe with the Preds until we get to the playoffs. But right now I'm looking what I'm seeing. Yeah, I'm, I'm impressed by them for sure as well. Um, another thing before we get to the uh, next team, uh, the Saint, uh, yeah, the Blues. Um the uh, I I um I have Luke Cunning in a couple of my leagues, and I just wanted to because I know he hits a lot, so I just was curious like where he is on the hits list. And then when I ch- checked the hits leaders and all that stuff, I found out that Tanner Janot is actually fourth in hits. Yeah, and he has uh, twenty three points in thirty nine games, and then uh, Luke Cunning is uh he's actually seventh in hits, um and sixteen points. So. It's kind of like cool that like both their depth players like Janot and Luke Cunning are like they can hit and they can score every now and then. So it's that's like a cool thing to have. It's not like yeah, you see Ryan Reeves and your Nicholas Deloriers, um, but like they only have like six points or five points, whereas like Janot is actually contributing. It's not just that he's he's hitting. He's he's not just an enforcer. He can actually score, um, so so that's like those are rare breeds in, in this league. Um, and to add to your point about depth guys coming to play, yeah. uh, Mark Borowiecki, sends legend, is actually twenty seventh in the league in hits with ninety three. Uh, scrolling down the list, there's also Ely Tolvanen. Oh, wow. I mentioned that his offensive numbers have been underwhelming. He's thirty fifth overall in hits with eighty five. Jakob Trenin is thirty seventh with eighty two. So if if your depth guys aren't scoring, at least uh, crash and bang a little bit along the boards, and uh, their depth guys have at least done that. Yep. So they're they're playing and winning as a team together. If they're if you're not scoring, they're, you're, then you better, better be doing other things. And uh, give full credit to, to the depth guys for playing their role as well. Yeah, yeah, that's true. All right, uh, we're going to go to the St. Louis Blues now um, because you started the Preds series. I'm going to start. St. Louis thing here. Yeah. Um, 
So, yeah, I, I mean, we talked about, I, I talked about Jordan Cairo. Um, I'm glad that he made the All-Star game 39 points in 34 games. I remember way back when that he was like a, I think he was a second round pick in, let me see if I get this right, 2017? 2016, a second round pick. Oh, it was so close. Um, one year off. One year off. Uh, but, like, I remember, I think it was, maybe it was a couple of years later, but I I just remember, like, because I was in a bunch of fantasy leagues and <laughs> I started paying attention to prospects, but, like, I heard people talking about Jordan Cairo and I was wondering if he was ever going to make it and, and once he did, like, how good is he going to be? And I feel like uh, the sky's the limit with this guy um, and it's, it's I don't have him in any of my fantasy leagues, um, but... Um, but to say that, like, it's it just, whenever I see him scoring, I'm like, oh, that's nice to see that he, he's scoring. So, um, I think it's impressive that he's been doing well. Uh, Pavel Buchnevich was actually the guy that I really wanted to talk about though. Um, because yeah. he has 35 points in 34 games. Um, also on my fantasy team, thanks Pavel. Yeah, I have him as well, but we, I don't know if necessarily the, our listeners care about our fantasy team, uh, but, <laughs> but Besides, that's, that's besides fine. the point. Yeah, but that's besides the point. But I, I, I think it's it's interesting, too, because they made, like, at the time, it was a weird trade that the Rangers were doing, and it looks like the Rangers are doing pretty well on their own right anyways. But, mm-hmm. like, they trade Pavel Buchnevich, and they uh, end up getting, uh, the Rangers end up getting Sammy Blay, and I think, a, like, a pick. I, I don't know who the pick ended up being, but... Um, but yeah, it was just like you were thinking like, well, Pavel Buchnevich was pretty good on on the Rangers, even in his last game. He had he was almost uh if I let me look here. Yeah, he had forty eight points in fifty four games last year for the Rangers. So you're just thinking like like if he can do that for the Rangers who were like struggling offensively, well not offensively, but they they were kind of like they weren't even a playoff team. It's like imagine what Pavel Buchnevich can do on this team, and sure, he's not playing with Panarin. Sure, he's not playing with Zvinajad or Ryan Strom or um, any of the other young guys that the Rangers have. But, like, it, w- it w- I was kind of curious to see, like, okay, how is he going to handle being on a new team and all that stuff? And it turns out he's doing pretty well. Uh, 35 points in 34 games, uh, 14 goals, and all that stuff. And he's become, like, probably their best player. Uh, which is which is good because like uh, Tarasenko is also a point per game player as well, but there was like concern before the season that Tarasenko was going to like uh, not be as good as he used to be. So it's like it's good that the Blues are adding this uh, another depth player, although he's become their best player. Um, and it's, it's interesting because like Ryan O'Reilly, who used to be their best player, uh, he's actually, let's see here, one, two, three, four, five, six. He's actually six in, uh, points, uh, for the St. Louis Blues. So it's just, uh, it's, it's kind of cool that like guys like Kairou, Buchnevich, um, Tarasenko, um, even like Barbashev and Robert Thomas, I didn't even realize this. They both have 30 points. Uh, like are are handling it, whereas like Ryan O'Reilly has twenty four points in thirty four games. That's not terrible or anything, but it's just like crazy that like those other guys have been outperforming 
Ryan O'Reilly. So, um, so yeah, I think that's kind of what's been impressing me is that like you know guys like Buchnevich um, coming into his own, Jordan Cairo coming into his own, Barbashev coming into his own, um, and even like someone like Tarasenko who we weren't even sure of um, if he could play, let alone on this like in the NHL. Um, so it's it's just cool to see that he's like he's back to his old ways and stuff like that. Um, we may never get to see like 30 goal Tarasenko. I guess maybe we might, but he's on pace for that actually. Um, I should probably think before I say, talk. Um, but but it but yeah, it, it's just cool that they have like those those uh, guys just um, breaking out um, for the St. Louis Blues. What's also interesting about the St. Louis Blues, and uh, it, it you're, you're right when you say that uh, it's a different cast of players uh, picking up the slack with guys like David Perron and Braden Shen to an extent struggling, and Ryan yeah. O'Reilly, even though he's like 55% successful in his face-off draws, no surprise there. Uh, the, the offensive numbers definitely, and the plus-minus, aren't uh, typically where we, we thought they'd be. Um, there is also um, another statistic they have done very well in, and that's getting wins no matter who's in net. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but Jordan Bennington on the season is only 11-8-3 with a 3.05 goals against, a 906 save percentage, and a shutout. Yep. And also 14 penalty minutes because uh, there have been times where uh, he's lost his cool a little bit. Right. Um, then you get to the guys in faraway places coming up to the big club and getting results because there was a time where Jordan Bennington uh, did have COVID, but I think that was around the time where the league uh, was shut down as well. Uh, so yeah. tough to really say how much uh, St. Louis had to lean on their other goalies, but they have uh, so far iced uh, four goalies uh, in game time situations. Uh, so we'll start with the fewest games played, uh, John Gillies, uh, who um, is now with the Devils, actually. But in the game that he played with St. Louis, uh, he stopped 36 of 39 in an overtime loss. So still got him a point, still gave him a chance to win. And he's been an NHL goalie that's bounced up and down, had a bit of NHL potential when he first started. Really tough to say if he has an NHL future, uh, but in the one game that he played for the Blues this year, uh, he gave him a chance, and that's all he can ask for. Uh, Joel Hofer uh, has played in two games and actually is the only goalie on this list to register a point. He has an assist in one of the two games that he played. 880C percentage and a 3.07 goals against average, um, stopping 44 of uh, 50 shots over those two games. But again, he was able to get a win in one of those two. Not too bad. And a guy with uh, a lot of potential, a lot of time to develop. So he's going to be spending his time uh, in the AHL for the time being. Um, Charlie Lindgren, who you might remember during his time with the Montreal Canadiens, trying yep. to make a statement and unfortunately being unsuccessful um, on a couple of occasions. So he found his way uh, to uh, the gateway to the West in St. Louis, Missouri. He is 5-0 and yep. in four games played or uh, five games played, four of them starts, with a 1.22 goals against 
and a 958 save percentage. He stopped 113 of 118 shots, five goals against over uh, four starts, uh, five appearances. And he's a perfect 5-0 and on the season, so that's good. And then the other guy that people thought would have been their go-to guy um, until Jordan Bennington came along, Billy Husso. 5-2-1 in nine games played, all of them starts, with a 2.13 goals against, a 9.35 save percentage, and a shutout. So I just mentioned four guys that have been able to give quality performances to the Blues, giving them a chance to win in most of the games that they've started or played in. And they've helped uh, Jordan Bennington and the Blues take care of business when Jordan Bennington hasn't played. So I also think uh, it's not just the offense and the defense getting it done. It's the goalies too. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's, uh, that is a good point. I was, I I felt like I was rambling. So it's good. I'm glad that you addressed their goaltending. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I wonder if, like, do you think Biddington will be the starter by next season if this continues? I hope so, and I think he can be. Um, but um, given the fact that it's slim pickings on the goaltending front and the fact that they heavily invested in Biddington, they're hoping that won't be the case. He would have... Um, I can't remember i think his con- new contract uh starts this season so heading into next season he would have five years left on a contract that pays him i think six million per season so i i, I don't think it's time to ask does our six million men need to sit on the bench and we give his gig to Huso or something like that um they've invested in jordan bennington they they know what they have in jordan bennington it hasn't been there consistently um so i i think down the stretch it's going to be pivotal for for bennington to raise up his game um and i think it's similar to robin leonard in vegas we know what they are and they can be top 10 goalies in the league they just haven't shown that as of late yeah yeah um yeah no i i was just thinking because it seems like huso has looked good in the s- s- slow starts that he's had even someone like charlie lindgren i would like to have seen more out of him i know that was only five games but he's won those five games so i i feel like maybe there's something more to to that than uh what what we've been seeing so i would have liked to see more of that but yeah it's just when you see like Bennington has like a three goals, uh, an over three goals against average. It's like, well, why maybe his job is on the line um, in terms of starting. But yeah, I guess it's something to keep an eye on for sure. Um, And also at the same time, if you keep on winning games, maybe that's all that matters. Um, All right. Uh, So what do you have? What caught your eye on the Minnesota Wild? With the Minnesota Wilds, uh, their offense has come to play. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but uh, we've talked about the Avalanche, who are second in goal scored with 150. Minnesota is low-key seventh with 125 goals scored across 34 games. They're 22-10-2 on the season. I will say that their power play is a bit underwhelming, and their goaltending has been hot and cold, but I like the versatility of their offense. And a lot of that, um, of course, has been led by Kirill Dalla Dalla Bill, Kirill Kaprizov. 
But I also don't think it uh, exemplifies the full story, the full landscape of Minnesota's offense. In particular, Ryan Hartman has 16 goals, 30 points in 34 games. Uh, We've mentioned him a little bit. He's really caught my eye. Four game winners for this guy. Um, Only three points on the power play. 115 shots. It might not seem like a lot, but that's only two back of Kirill Kaprizov. And that um, ranks him second on the team in shots on goal. Fiala, who has 111 shots, has only scored eight goals. So I guess most of those goals have gone to Hartman. But a lot of people should remember uh, Ryan Hartman before this season was a good, I would say, top nine forward that maybe has a bit of top six potential, but a guy Uh, That could be a serviceable third line type of player that could kind of get in your face a little bit, be a little bit of an intimidating factor, and um, someone that can draw penalties and let the big boys go to work. But he's creating a lot of offense uh, for himself lately. Um, And just even over the past couple of games, we've seen a goal and an assist against Dallas on December 20th, uh, New Year's uh, Day against the Blues uh, in a losing effort. He had a goal and assist there. And he also had a goal and assist uh, against Anaheim a couple nights ago on January 14th. And we're looking at a guy that probably takes, I don't know, two, three, four shots a game. That's pretty efficient scoring. Um, I would say that's an even bigger surprise than someone like Matt Zuccarello, who might be having a career year of sorts in comparison to where he's been the past couple of years. He's over a point per game. But... I would have probably expected Zuccarello to maybe have one of those revitalization type of seasons as opposed to a guy like Ryan Hartman where we've waited for at least a couple of years for him to show that offensive upside and it just hasn't happened. Then all of a sudden he just explodes. Also low-key a plus 29 in uh, the 34 games that he's played, so that's also good to see. Um, I would also like to give an honorable mention to Alex Golagov Oski, who they signed to a one-year $5 million contract for reasons unknown to me. But I will admit, he's pitched in with 21 points in 29 games. Uh, One of the best offensive seasons of his career in a long, long time. So uh, it's the minor guys like Hartman and Goligoski that have really stepped it up for this Minnesota offense and a big reason of where they're at right now. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I feel like of the four teams that we just talked about, Minnesota does seem like the weakest of the four. Um, but at the same token, it's like they're a pretty good team too. They have good depth. Uh, they have decent goaltending. Um, so I, I think what's what's impressive to me is um, that Kaprizov is by far their best player. Um, but like even when he was injured for a short time, um, in early January, like the the Wild, like it was only like two games. Um, the Wild still won both those games um, without the, without Kaprizov. So and like I, I I think like what was interesting is the Wild. We all thought the Wild were going to be rebuilding um, before Kaprizov joined the team last year, and then when Kaprizov arrived. We were all excited about it because they made the playoffs. They were an exciting team, um, and and I'm glad that he's continued to to do as well as he has. 
Um, but yeah, it's just it's just uh, nice to see that all the teams are feeding, all the players are feeding off of him. Um, what's interesting is Matt Zuccarello, who I thought like I still think it's uh, he, he's overpaid on his contract, but I do like to see that he's. Um, it's always nice to see that he's he has thirty points in uh, twenty eight games, and um, I I thought he was like. You know, I, I don't think he's worth the contract that he's making, but it is nice to see that at least he's contributing and he's still, you know, doing stuff, um, which is which is something that's nice to see. I don't think he'll be an over-a-point-per-game player for the rest of the season, but I, I think that was something that has surprised me as well. Uh, the other thing that I do want to talk about is their goaltending. Uh, mm-hmm. Cam Talbot is um, has started the more more games than Kakanen, Um uh, and he's 15, 8, and 1 um, with a 3 GAA and a save percentage of 909. Uh, whereas Kakanen, he has only played in 11 games, but he's 7, 2, and 1 uh, with a save percentage of 917 and a GAA mm. of 2.56. Um, so that's like a 0.5 difference in GAA and a, uh, let me do quick math, 0.06, no, 0.08. Uh, difference in the save percent uh, save percentage um and um yeah so it's it just like it's always alarming whenever i see like a goalie especially a starting goalie has like three a three gaa um and you know 2.56 is decent and it's better than a three gaa so i am curious to see if maybe they make that switch however i do look back at the off season where they uh expose c- uh, Kakinen in the uh, redraft in the Seattle draft. Um, and I think they did something else that made me wonder. Oh, they uh, they also drafted uh, Jesper Walstead, a goalie um, who's who's looking pretty good and one of the best goalie prospects in the in recent history. So I am curious to see what they're gonna do with Kakinen, especially since he's been better than Cam Talbot has been uh, so far this year. Yeah, I think uh, with Kakinen, you probably give him uh, another two or three years to see what you have in both him and Wallstead and then evaluate from there. I wouldn't throw Wallstead into the fire just yet, especially as he's continuing to develop uh, his craft elsewhere. Um, not NHL ready at the moment, but there's definitely a lot of potential there. And it's a, it's a happy problem to have. In the meantime, you have a guy like Kapo Kakinen, who in the limited amount of time that... Um, He's played in the NHL and uh, in the AHL as well, has shown flashes of brilliance and can be a capable goaltender. And we've all seen prime Cam Talbot. When he is on his game, he can be a top 10 goalie in this league. Um, At times this year, hasn't played like it, but there's still time to make up for that. And when it really comes down to the crunch time, it's the playoffs. And I think uh, Cam Talbot is a guy that uh, can embrace playoff hockey and take his game to another level. Um, and, and we saw it at uh, points in the Vegas series last year where Cam Talbot just had Vegas's number. Uh, we saw it throughout the course of the regular season too. Um, so their goaltending situation uh, is, is definitely an, an interesting one to watch. Uh, again, similar to St. Louis, as long as someone's getting the wins, who cares? Yeah, no, that's true. Um, also, I want to shout out uh, Matt Dumba. He's he had a kind of a, a, a 
down year last season. Uh, but it's nice to see that he's picked it up lately. 17 points in 33 games uh, for him. Mm-hmm. So I, I it was actually it was actually, and I know this because he was on my fantasy team as well. If we're yeah. talking about players on fantasy teams, um, he started off red hot and has cooled off a little bit, but still, yeah, around I close to a 40 point season and a full 82 games. So that's still pretty good. I also have I have Dumba in two leagues, so <laughs> nice. also talking about it. But uh, but yeah, so and that that's even why I mentioned him because I noticed that oh Dumba's doing pretty well, um so so yeah that that's nice um so we we I mean we could talk about the other four teams but then it will take us a long time and also like yeah. what do we really have to talk about Arizona or anything like that so <laughs> uh, but I will say so I I do have a question up here it's like what about the other the bottom four teams. Um, I do have some things to say. Um, I, uh, I, I, I was kind of hopeful that we would talk about the Dallas Stars, to be honest, because they're a pretty interesting team, especially after like Ben Bishop got uh, injured and then Jake Edinger has all of a sudden been really good for them. And then like, you know, who knows what's going on with Kadobin and Braden Holtby. So that, that situation is pretty interesting. But what I found that was even more interesting from the Dallas standpoint is their skaters. Uh, because, uh, like, once Jason Robertson came into the lineup, it seemed like their whole dynamic changed. And uh, Rupe Hintz and Jason, Jason Robertson, like, Rupe Hintz was struggling at the beginning of the season. And then yeah. all of a sudden, like, I, I guess, well, it's not all of a sudden, but... Who would have thought that once Jason Robertson comes into play, then Rupe Hintz gets going? And I was looking here. He had uh, 10 goals in 12 games in November. Um, and that was right when Jason Robertson started getting healthy and playing. So I am curious about that. Um, and I also wanted to mention that I thought that um, I, I was hopeful that Tyler Sagan would have been... Uh, would have bounced back, but at the same time, it's hard to, like, he did miss a, a whole year, so it is hard to expect that, but maybe that is a big reason why they aren't doing so well um, in terms of the playoff stuff, because uh, he has 14 points in 35 games. It's not terrible, but something that you, I expect more out of uh, Tyler Sagan, um, but I will give him, I'll give him some more slack and maybe just because maybe he's just recovering from the injury that he had. So we'll see. But, um, but yeah, it, it, it wasn't looking as good. I did have him as a spotlight. Um, and then um, in terms of the other teams, Winnipeg, I don't really have too much on. Um, the uh, Chicago Blackhawks, I, I will say Seth Jones has actually been pretty good. Um, he has, uh, 25 points in 35 games. Um, still don't think that's worth 9.5 million for eight years, but, um, it could, and you know, he's not even being paid that much this year. So, uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting. Um, and then the other team that I did want, oh, and I wanted to mention, uh, the Arizona Coyotes, Shane Gostisbehere. Um, I know that Jacob Chikrin is injured, um, and maybe that does have play into a factor for him, but Gustav has 24 points in 36 games on a lowly Arizona Coyotes team. 
Um, and it's just crazy that like the the Flyers not only traded him away, but they literally like <laughs> traded draft picks with Shane Gossespierre and got nothing in return. It's just like that's just insane to me. Um, so it's just like it probably might be the the weirdest trade that I think happened. It's like one that like like Arizona was rebuilding and they've been tanking so hard that it's noticeable. But, like, that is a good thing that, like, Gosses Bear has been incredible this year. Um, so I wanted to shout him out that he's uh, he's been really, really good. Um, and, yeah, I, I don't really know what's going on with Jacob Chikrin. I know that he's injured now, but it is strange. Even when he was uh, playing, he wasn't good. Um, but, yeah, it's just, it's just weird because he was, like, a Norris candidate uh, last year. And now he's just not good. <laughs> Some people argue that it's because, oh, well, Oliver Ekman-Larsen is gone. And yeah. while Ekman-Larsen's offensive stats have not really been any better than Chikrin's this year, um, I think from the defensive side uh, of things, uh, there's also that. Uh, it also helps when you have Antti Ranta and Darcy Kemper as your tandem, and you True. also have Carter Garland and Christian Dvorak, who they also traded away. So uh, when you trade a bunch of your key pieces uh, for futures – I mean, who's really going to put up good numbers? Who's, right. who's going to put up a pretty good plus minus? Not really too many people. It's the minus 29 in the 26 games that really sticks out for yeah. me uh, with Jacob Chikrin. But even over the 24.50 that he's averaged per game, he still has 84 shots. So he's definitely getting the chances. It's just not going in for him like it did last year. Um, so that's um, a bit unfortunate. Um the one thing I will say with the Arizona Coyotes, um, and we'll probably talk about this uh, at a later date because the trade deadline's coming up in a couple months, there are going to be a lot of guys on that team to look out for. Yep. Even Louis Erickson. Yep. If, if there's the right place, they'll probably get rid of Louis Erickson or or maybe not to, to abide by the cap. Maybe they'll keep Louis Erickson. But there are a lot of other guys that are going to be pending UFAs that other teams will want, like, uh, say, Phil Kessel. Yeah. I mean, you're not really going to get prime Phil Kessel, but if Phil Kessel can put up 25 points in 36 games and only a minus eight in less than 18 minutes of ice time per game, if you put him on a contending roster, I'm sure you'll get a fair amount of offense out of him. Yeah. And I definitely think there's enough left in the tank where Phil Kessel can make a good playoff run with a contender. Um, so there's definitely uh, that to watch out for if you're Arizona. And I say that because they are that bad and they're probably going to finish dead last. That yeah. much is for certain. Before, uh, sorry, before you get to the other teams, um, like, yeah, before the season, I thought like, okay, trade every, every player that you can that's not named Jacob Trickren. But now I think they are like, uh, they are thinking of t trading Jacob Trickren. And if they do, they could get a fortune out of Jacob Chikrin because he, you know, he's like, yeah, he's struggling this year. But if you put him on a good team, I think he could be one of the best defensemen in the league. So um, I, I think it's something to consider if I'm Arizona. It's like not I know that they made him captain this year and um, he is their best player. But I, I wouldn't be shocked to see that he goes before the in the trade deadline. And we'll talk about that later. 
Um, yeah, the one the thing that I will say about the Jacob Chikrin situation, without getting too much in the Jacob Chikrin situation and ruining <laughs> our uh, future topics, right? Um, as we all know, the Arizona Coyotes will be looking for a new home, not because they want to, because they have to, uh, because they're getting kicked out of their building after this year. Um, if you're going to be going to... I don't know, Tempe, Arizona, and there have been reports whether or not that plan is going to go through, so they better hope that goes through. But if that plan goes through, you go to Tempe, Arizona, you want to give them at least somebody that they're just like, yeah, I'll go see this team play. Right. Um, If you're trading away basically every player with significant value, um, that's not necessarily a good way to build a fan base. So. Unless Jacob Chikrin is super pissed and he really wants out, I'd hold off on that for a little bit. That's just me. Yeah, anyway, that's getting fair. back to uh, getting back to other teams uh, with other problems, such as Chicago, who shocker is still in cap hell. Uh, they're gonna have uh, some guys that uh, could be of um, some use to teams, um, albeit maybe not as serviceable as some of the guys on Arizona, but. Depth guys like Ryan Carpenter uh, and Calvin DeHaan and Eric Gustafson that teams might want for a playoff run. And, of course, the biggest name of them all, Marc-Andre Fleury. Mm-hmm. For teams that are in need of goaltending help, um, they're probably going to be calling for him. There's also Dylan Strome that uh, has been in the doghouse for quite some time. Um, so, yeah, uh, there's there's that. But I, I don't really see Chicago as a team to keep in mind in this race. Because um, I'll be perfectly honest, the slow start cost them yep. any chance of making a decent playoff run. So they should probably focus on uh, continuing to build for the future, because uh, the future definitely isn't now for them. As for Winnipeg, they've actually had some uh, pretty interesting performances. You talk about uh, guys like Shane Gostisbehere making an impact um, after kind of losing their way for. Uh, whatever reasons uh, with their former clubs. How about Nate Schmidt for the Winnipeg Jets? He's kind of low-key back to his early days in Vegas. Um, He is currently first in defensive scoring with 18 points in 33 games. Neil Pionk has 17 points in 31 games, so he's just a bit behind him. We look at Neil Pionk as the main piece of their offense uh, from a defensive standpoint, and Nate Schmidt is uh, around a 40 to 45-point pace. That's pretty good, even as nine power play points to his name. So I love that for Nate Schmidt. That's awesome to see. Also awesome to see that uh, Andrew Kopp um, has played pretty well. Pierre-Luc Dubois has also played well. Um, So I definitely think the Jets, if they play their cards right, uh, to at least make a push for a wild card spot. And especially when you consider where the Pacific Division is, where it is, uh, anything can happen down the stretch. I definitely think one of the two wild card spots is salvageable. I guess it all depends on how good uh, the other teams in the Central are, because you need three that make the playoffs, and probably the fourth seed is probably going to have the first spot. So you have a bunch of teams in the Pacific and Winnipeg and whoever else. Uh, battling for one wild card spot um and now that they have a new coach to kind of get adjusted to um that it it, it, it's it's a it's a it's a toss-up for winnipeg uh, for me they they could make uh, a a decent run 
or it um, it just might not happen. We'll we'll have to wait and see. But uh, they they do have uh, the pieces there to make it happen. Then we get to Dallas, and I'm going to save Dallas because I have a feeling we're going to talk about a lot of about Dallas's players in the trade deadline because they have a lot of compelling pieces, probably the most compelling pieces out of this group um, where they could make some interesting decisions on. Um, and I do think that um, how Colorado approaches the Nazem Kadri situation and how Nashville approaches the Philip Forsberg situation is also going to be noteworthy. But you have a guy like Joel Pavelski at the age of 37 who is still playing point-per-game hockey. That's huge. Mm -hmm. You also have John Klingberg, where it looks like they're actively going to shop him. He's on a bargain contract. I definitely think teams that are looking for prime defensive depth, they're calling Jim Nill relentlessly. What do you want for Klingberg? What do you want for Klingberg? So So there's also that. And I honestly think if I'm the Dallas Stars... I look at what I can get for those superstar players because I think they are too inconsistent of a hockey team where even if they do play good hockey, I don't think it's going to be enough to really cut above the rest to be as good as Minnesota uh, and Nashville and St. Louis and certainly not Colorado. They are not a Colorado's level. That's for sure. Right. Like at home, don't get me wrong. At home, they've been good. At home, they've been just as good as a lot of those teams. They're four. They're fourteen, three and one on home ice, but on the road, they're four, twelve and one. If you can't win on the road, you're not going to be a playoff team. You need to win in all scenarios. Um, so yeah, I, I I definitely look at Dallas, and I look more so at the pieces that they might not have after March twenty first. Uh, that are on expiring contracts because they have a lot of serviceable talent and they could get a fortune for uh, if they play their cards right. The last thing they should do is hang on to those talents, let their contracts expire, miss the playoffs, and then reminisce of what could have been if they had made a trade on March 21st and at least gotten some futures for them. Right. Um, Yeah, on the John Klingberg note, it does look like uh, Klingberg is asking, I don't know if you heard this, but Klingberg is asking like for $8 million, uh, for mm-hmm. a, like a long-term contract. Basically, he wants Miro Heiskanen money. Um, yeah. And the Stars are not going to be able to do that. I don't even think they can afford it because they also have Essa Lindell for a few more years after that. They signed Ryan Suter for a long-term as well. So it's like, <laughs> even if he was worth it, which I don't think he is, it's like... Uh, like I don't think they could afford it. So it looks it like it should also be noted yeah. that Jason Robertson's entry level expires after this that year. Too, yeah. So does Jake Ettinger's, and, and does Grianov is also an RFA. So yep. they have those three guys to keep. Right, right, and um, and and Joe Pavelski, as you've mentioned before. So it's like you know, they have a lot of turnover and a lot of off-season decisions. But it seems like okay, John and Klingberg's asking for way too much. We have other things to deal with. Let's let's just let him go. Um, There's also Rupe Hintz, who isn't a RFA after this year or uh, after the season, but in the yep. 2023 off season, he's an RFA with arbitration rights, currently making 3.15 million, which is yep. a bargain at his production. If he continues to elevate his game and his game yeah, that's, is that's consistently point per game worthy. 
heading into next offseason, that could be a problem for the Stars too, which, again, factors into can we afford to keep Klingberg on the roster? Yep. And uh, the answer to me is a resounding no. So, uh, so yeah, anyways, it, it appears that we'll talk more about this um, yeah. <laughs> eventually. But, uh, but yeah, it, uh, they, they announced on uh, Hockey Night in Canada that uh, it looks like Klingberg is going to, it has a lot of shoppers or they're shop, they're actively shopping Klingberg right now, um, which is interesting because it's like they're not that far out of the playoff picture, but maybe that is something that they decide to do. Um, anyways, uh, so our last question here is how will the Central Division end up? Um, what's interesting is is when uh, so when Vegas ended up trading for Jack Eichel, Vegas was like in fourth in the Pacific, but now they're actually in first now in the Pacific, and Eichel's apparently skating now, and uh, he could be up on the team pretty soon. So, um, but even still, uh, Vegas, who's uh, in the Pacific Division, if they were in, and they're the leader in the Pacific Division, if they were in the Central Division they would be one of the wild card spots. Um, <laughs> that's how good the Central Division is. Um, however, uh, right now, um, if the playoffs were today, it would be uh, Minnesota and San Jose uh, would be the two wild card spots. Uh, so um, the question here is, how will the Central Division end up? Um, yeah, since since you went second the last question let's see uh what uh what are your how do you think they're gonna end up uh, um so i'll start with last arizona's gonna be last far <laughs> last um i think chicago is probably gonna trade away some of their pivotal pieces and it'll be interesting to see what happens if flurry leaves he probably will um and if that's the case they're probably going to regress but again, I don't think they're going to be any worse than Arizona. They're 15 points clear of Arizona. They'll be at least five points clear once the season ends. Um, so I think Chicago stays where they are at seventh. Um, it's a toss-up between Winnipeg and Dallas for six. I would probably go Dallas six and Winnipeg five. So not much changes there. One through four is interesting. I think Colorado... Um, with or without an addition in goal. I hope they go for the addition. But at this rate, I think Colorado is going to be firmly in first by six or seven points by the end of the year. Um, very, very tough to stop that team. Um, I think second and third is going to be very neck and neck. Um, but I'm going to say... Hmm. Yeah, it's um, tough. I'm going to say Nashville barely over Minnesota, but um, I, th I think Minnesota is probably going to get third and St. Louis will get fourth. So Colorado, uh, Colorado, Nashville, Minnesota, St. Louis, Winnipeg, Dallas, Chicago, Arizona. So I basically just swapped three and four. That's yeah, about it. I was about to say. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll go a little bit more bold here. Okay. Um, yeah, so I think Arizona and Chicago are definitely uh, eight and seven. Um, yeah, I, I think Dallas, especially if they start to trade J, uh, John Klingberg, 
Um, mm-hmm. I do think that they could make a run for the playoffs, but it does look like they're going to be sellers. So I'm going to put them at six. Um, if they're not sellers, then maybe they they could make the playoffs, but um, they maybe be like the fifth spot. But um, but yeah, I'll I'll put them at six as well. Why not? Um, okay. Five. Um, yeah, I think I'm gonna see. The thing is, is that I have concerns for goaltenders for St. Louis and Minnesota, um, yeah. and I don't really have concerns for Winnipeg's goalies or Nashville's goalies. And Colorado's on a tier at stone. I do have concerns about their goalie, but like their offense is so and their defense is so good that it's like I, I like they're they're gonna win the division. Um so I, I think it's going to be uh St. Louis five, Minnesota four, um, Winnipeg three, uh Nashville two, and uh Colorado one. Um, and Nashville purely just because their goalie is one of the best in the world, um, if not yeah. the best. So um, I think that makes the difference. Um, and then, of course, you can never doubt uh, Connor Hellebuck. I know that um, the Winnipeg Jets aren't in the playoffs right now, but I think they will be. Um, and, uh, oh, did, did I, I don't think I asked, uh, how many of those teams do you think are going to make the playoffs? Um... So three all already. <laughs> we'll give well, you that. Three, three are for sure in because top yeah. three made the playoffs. Um, I would say if um, in my case, St. Louis or Minnesota would be the wild card team, right? Uh, or or would be fourth in in uh, the Central, and I think they're better than whatever contenders you have in the Pacific. So I would probably put them as a wild card team. The second one, I I don't know. It depends. There, there's so much. There's so many balls in the air right now with Pacific Division because remember yeah. we were talking about Calgary and the hot start. They're in fifth place in the division right yeah. now, but they're only five points behind second place Los Angeles. You have Anaheim third, San Jose fourth, Calgary fifth, Edmonton, who also start off hot, is now sixth. And if the Canucks start to catch fire again with Boudreaux, all of a sudden they're in the mix. Yeah. Uh, I, as much as I wanted Seattle to do well. Uh, they're probably not going yeah. anywhere this year anyway. Um, so needless to say, I have no idea how the Pacific is going to shake up and how yeah, good not... uh, the fourth and the fifth seeds there are going to be. But I would probably, at, at this rate, I would probably say the top five in the West make it. Uh, in, in a, sorry, top five in the Central make the playoffs. Yeah, I think that's how I would go too. But um, But yeah, I don't know. It's tough. Um, yeah, I, I think I would say, yeah, it's five. So Colorado, Nashville, St. Louis, Minnesota, and Winnipeg, I think I'll make it. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, and then, uh, lastly, before we go, I did check up Kale McCarr's stats just to, to see if they were updated. He is still fourth in the career, on uh, defensive points per game, but he has 130 points um, career points in 132 career games. So he is so close to being a point per game player um, in yeah. his career. Uh, if he just has two more points, um, <laughs> uh, 
Um, I, I'm really, I'm now that like this is all I'm gonna be rooting for for the rest of the his career is to see. I'm also him, curious know, where he ranks in terms of goals per game on that list because yeah, that I'm not defensemen sure. uh, don't normally score at the rate that he does. Yeah, so I saw that statistic on uh, Twitter and I haven't seen it, so I don't, I can't even like mess with it because it's like they were talking about like all-time players, so. Yeah, I don't even. Yeah, I would be curious about that too, of how like where he is on goals per game too, because he scores a lot of goals too. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't even know who would be at the top of that list. Probably Bobby Orr. Um, yeah, but, probably. Um, all right, that's about it. Uh, we are done here. This is actually a longer episode than the last mm-hmm. couple of weeks, but that's okay. We're used to that. Um, you can uh, follow us on, you can catch all the episodes, um, <laughs> if you have the time, at uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcasts, at Lace em Up. Um, our Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace em Up. That's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll chat again in episode 304 of the Lace em Up Podcast. <laughs>